Philippians chapter 4. And as you turn to Philippians chapter 4, let me say thank you, Dr. Mims, for allowing me to be here today in such a, on such a special day, such special occasion. I'm so grateful and honored to be able to worship with you. Now, I know that for a pastor, it's always a dangerous thing to have a foreigner come and preach for him. Not only due to the accent, and I, te- I tell people most of the time I talk like Elmer Fudd. Now, I can tell this, this group, I can tell that I talk like Elmer Fudd because you know who that is. I don't think I'm, I'll be able to tell the next, the next meeting at 10 o'clock or whenever we have it. I don't think they'll know who Elmer Fudd is, but thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And I hope and pray, and I've been praying, that my heavy accent, Eastern European accent, will not be an impediment on you understanding what the Word of God has to say. And I have been praying that the Spirit of God will go before me and he'll be able to interpret everything that I'm going to say for his glory. Uh, We have so many partnerships on different levels. First of all, uh, you have been supporting Emmanuel University and Seminary for many, many years. Not only in prayer, but also giving financially and even sending your pastor over to come and teach. And let me say thank you in behalf of our president, Dr. Paul Negruz, and also the faculty and students at Emmanuel University. We are looking forward for everything to kind of fall back in place with this COVID and everything else and have him back and most of you that want to join him. Also, we have a partnership with you in the work in Ukraine. As you have recently seen, you know, the world, the world in Ukraine is now 100 and, I don't know, 30 days or something like that. And you have been involved as a church giving, uh, I understand, not only to uh, send, send uh, what's the, send relief, but also we have been done doing some work through the Tennessee Baptist Convention. In fact, last Sunday, between the services a.m. and p.m., I met with uh, Dr. Davis, the executive uh, uh, director of Tennessee Baptist Convention, and they have been sending some funds uh, to our organization, Pro-Ukraine, and we have been able to, to help. And so, um, uh, you know, Dr. Mims mentioned something about having in our church to families, and I'll tell you briefly, I know the time is going fast, but in 2014, one of my good friends came to me and said, hey, uh, there's uh, this uh, mission work in the eastern part of Ukraine on the border with Russia. It's a very, a very uh, poor area. And uh, would you be willing as a church to take on and support one pastor there? Long story short, we found out how much it cost. And since 2014, we have been supporting financially Pastor Anatol. Uh, that's somewhere on the northern part of Ukraine, about eight kilometers from the border with Russia. When the war broke, I got in touch with him and eight pastors together with Vasile, uh, my friend. We started a ministry called Pro-Ukraine. Through Pro-Ukraine, we were able to get involved in the life of the churches and the people in Ukraine, uh, sending all kinds of stuff. We started with mattresses. Uh, 50 mattresses to 100 to 200 and over 2,000 mattresses. And then we start sending food and stuff like that. Uh, So far, we have been sending over 150 tons of canned meat, 
pasta, oil, flour, and all of that. In the meantime, we were able to bring Anatol and his family and his son-in-law, also a pastor in Ukraine, Sergei. And so both of these families are in our little church in the village. So Romanians have opened their hearts, Poland, the same, Slovakia, Hungary, and all of this is possible just because of your help. So may the Lord bless you. And I always say to people who get involved in missions, that one day when you will walk the streets of heaven, someone will come and tap you on the shoulder and say, by the way, you do not know who I am, but I am from Ukraine. I am from Cambodia. I am from Russia. I am from Pakistan. I am from Iceland. I am from Germany. And I am here because your church has prayed, has given, has been coming to share Christ. And in one of those adventures, I came to know the Lord. I believe that that will be the greatest blessing that you can have as a church. And I pray that one day you'll have the blessing of that. Someone in heaven come and say thank you from the deepest of my heart. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord continue to bless you as you are doing this world work, not only here in Nashville in Tennessee, but also around the world. And who knows, maybe one day you will join pastor and I'll see you on the other side of the pond. Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse one, is one of my favorite passages in the scriptures. I have to be honest and tell you that the book of Philippi, Philippians, the, church, the letter written to the book of Philippi is probably my favorite uh, passage of scripture. The year was 52 after Christ. Paul the apostle was in in Troas, preaching the gospel. While he was there preaching the gospel, one night he had a vision. There is someone who stood up in the vision and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. The scripture scripture tells us that immediately Paul and the missionary team, we do not know if Luke was there, Timothy was there, but all of this team went over into the city of Philippi. The scripture tells us that they went in the city of Philippi and they went by the river where some women were praying. After that prayer meeting, one of them by the name of Lydia said, why don't you come into my house? So we go to fellowship and why do you come and teach? So the Bible says that they went into her house and there in 52 after Christ, As a believer, a Baptist believer, I like to say, the first Baptist church of Europe was established in the city of Philippi. Ten years later, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. While he's imprisoned in Rome, he writes some of the letters to the churches and even one person to Philemon. One of those letters that he wrote is this letter that he wrote to the city of Philippi, to the believers there, Uh, The letter has about four chapters. I do not know exactly how many verses. But there are many reasons why Paul wrote this letter. I'm not going to go over all of them, but one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter and probably is the most important reason is found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 29 and 30th, where the scripture says this. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. I believe that one of the most important reasons why Paul wrote this letter is found in these verses. We know that the church was in incipient stages of persecution. The church historians will tell us that the persecution started in 64. However, if you study this book, and if you look at these verses that Paul said in chapter 1, saying this, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So I believe with all my heart that the church was in its incipient stages of persecution. And Paul writes, and what he wants to do is he wants to encourage them as they were fighting persecution, as trials and tribulations were coming on the church. Paul writes, and the message that he has for the church is found in chapter 1, verse 1. Therefore, my chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. I believe that the scripture has the same message for us today. If we were to look at what's happening in this beautiful country, I believe that there's a time where the scriptures will tell us once again, and if you look there, there's a command, stand fast in the Lord, Stand firm in the Lord. The question that we have this morning is this. How can a church be able, will be able to stand fast during the time of persecution and trials and tribulations and sorrow? Our scripture, our passage beginning in verse 2 all the way to verse 6 will help us to see some of the principles that will enable the church to stand fast during the time of persecution and trials and tribulation. First of all, to stand fast during the trial, time of trials and tribulation and persecution, to stand fast, the church must have unbroken unity. Read with me in verses two and three. I implore Judea, Judea and I implore Sintik to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow worker whose names are in the book of life. So in order to be able to stand fast, the church must have unbroken unity. What are we talking about? Well, we know that there are two ways in which Satan attacks the church. Satan attacks the church from outside in, and that's persecution, and then also attacks the church from inside out. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul at one point writes to the church, and this is what he says in those verses. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is in their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. So what Paul says here is not only that the church is attacked by, by outside, from outside, and the church is persecuted from outside, but also we know that Satan attacks the church from inside out. And these people that he refers to in chapter 3 are basically people within the church. So Paul is very much aware that Satan attacks the church from outside and from inside. 
And therefore, what he says is this. Learn to live a life of unity with other words. In other words, do not use your, all of your energy fighting among themselves. But you come of one mind, and instead of using energy to fight among yourselves, you fight one enemy, one common enemy, and that is the Satan. So, Paul says this, and he underlines how important the unity is in the life of the church. Verse 2, I implore twice, it means I beg. Now, the reason why he uses that expression there and the word is I beg is, is, is exactly to underline how important it is, unity in the life of the church. It is the image of someone who comes and begs for something. It's more than just I am asking you to. I am uh, kindly inviting you to. No, Paul says, unity is so important in the life of the church that I am going to take this position of begging you. And basically he says, I am begging the two women, I am begging you to be of the same mind, to live a life of unity. First of all, I believe if unity was not important in the life of the church, Paul will never address it. Not only that Paul addressed this problem, but also in verse 3, he involved the church. Now, if unity was not important in the life of the church, I don't believe that Paul will ever mention it or Paul will involve the church. But Paul understands that because the church is attacked from outside in and from inside out, it is crucial, especially when we face persecution, that the church will be united will be of the same mind. In Romania, we have a song that every January we sing it as we come together as a nation. And this song says at one point that there's, where there's one person, there's no power. Where there are two and three and four, there's what? Is more power. So Paul says, you know, we are a minority as a church. We cannot fight among themselves. We, we have to be united to fight the common enemy, to fight Satan. In 1989, December 16, was a Sunday morning. There's a pastor in the city of Timisoara, uh, Laszlo Tokesh, pastor of a reformed church. That Sunday morning, the secret police came and the police came and said, you know, after the service, you are going to be arrested and you are going to be put in jail. Someone overheard that discussion and went to all the 21 evangelical churches and put a word out that this afternoon, our pastor is going to be arrested. About two o'clock in the afternoon, when they came to arrest him, there were about 300 people that made a chain of human bodies around his parsonage in the city of Timisoara. They came and they didn't know what to do, so they went back to their headquarters. Five o'clock in the afternoon, they came back and uh, there were some firefighters, heavy equipment with water hoses and stuff and trying to disperse them. When they came back, there were about 3,000 people. 
by 10 o'clock in the night, there were about over 100,000 people in the city of Timisoara in downtown, uh, chanting, down with Ceausescu, Christ is alive. Down with Ceausescu, Christ is alive. This has been a country of persecuted uh, for 20, 45 years. We were under severe persecution. Ceausescu was in power from 1965. Uh, he's a man that said that by the year 2000, there'll be no Christian left in the entire country of Romania. December 25th, Christmas, when Christians around the world celebrate the birth of Christ in Christianity, Ceausescu, both him and his wife, were executed. It started with a small church who said, enough is enough. If I pray something for you as a church, is that as days are coming ahead of us, and I believe there'll be, there'll be days that will be difficult for the life of the church in America. I believe that as this will come, you'll be able to stand fast, learning to live a life of unity. And you'll not fight among yourselves, but you'll find and you'll fight the common enemy. The attitude is no, oh me, oh my. The attitude is what are we supposed to do now? To stand fast, the church must have unbroken unity. To stand fast, the church must have the unspeakable assurance of his presence and the unshakable assurance of his presence. Read with me verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The expression there, the Lord is at hand, for most of the times it was interpreted as the second coming of the Lord. And now you have to understand, in one hand, it is correct for them to say, the Lord is coming. Remember, not too long ago, the Lord is staying there, sitting there with them and says, I'm going, and I'm going to prepare your place. And after I'm going, and I'm going to prepare your place, I will come back, and I will take you with me, John 14, you remember that. And so, every morning the church got up and was looking to the sky. Is this the day when the Lord is coming? Every morning they'll get up as persecuted as they were and imagine the believers are persecuted for their faith. So their glimpse of hope was that as they were waking up, the skies will open and the Lord will come back. So for most of the time, the interpretation of that expression, the Lord is at hand, refers to the second coming of the Lord. However, the expression, the Lord is at hand, in original, it also means that the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. In other words, it doesn't talk about the second coming of the Lord. It's not about time frame, but it is about space frame. So when we read the expression, the Lord is at hand, we know that he is what? He's near. David says in one of his Psalms that he is like the shadow on my right hand. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. So as the church was facing persecution, let me ask you what can be more comfortable to know and more comfort, comforting to know that the Lord is at hand. 
The Lord is near. It doesn't matter how deep the valleys are. It doesn't matter how difficult the times are. It doesn't matter how severe the persecution is. We know that the Lord is with me. In 1992, I was going from Tennessee Temple where I was studying at that time to a Romanian church in Chicago. We were going to this Romanian Baptist church in Chicago, 23 students that were studying at Tennessee Temple from Romania. And in that church in, the, in Chicago, the Romanian Baptist church was one of the Romanian heroes of faith, Richard Wurbrand. Richard Wurbrand, who was a Romanian Jew, he spent about 14 years in prison, two years in solitary confinement. By the way, he came to the United States in the 60s and started uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Richard Wurbrand spent 14 years in prison, two of those in solitary confinement. Uh, if you are able to write to Voice of the Martyrs or get online, they are going to send you a book, Torture for Christ. It's a very little booklet I encourage you to read. So, that Sunday morning after the service, I took my Romanian Bible and we were in line waiting to talk to him. He was sitting on the chair and I went and I approached him and when I approached him, I was shaking. This is the man that I read about. We honored him, we knew what he went through as a believer, as a pastor in Romania. And finally, I have a chance to meet this man. And as I was approaching him, I shaking, I asked him, I said, Brother Richard, I have one question for you. In all of those years, 14 years in prison, two of them in solitary confinement, and by the way, I went to see where he was in prison. I said, what was it that gave you the strength Day after day after day after day, suffering for Christ and coming out after 14 years with such a great faith and hope. And he looked at me and said something that I'll never forget. It was the sweet aroma of the fellowship with Jesus. Every day, the sweet aroma of the fellowship with Jesus. In 2006, our daughter Victoriana that had been fighting cancer at that time, she was in hospital in Fort Worth, Texas for about a year. After six rounds of chemo and two surgeries, one on her spine, one in her abdominal cavity, after being in uh, PICU for five months after she was in coma for 98 days. While she was in coma there for 98 days, I told my wife, I said, I'll give anything to hear her say one more time, I love you, daddy. So every day I would go to her ear and I would say, Tori, claim the name of Jesus. After she was released from the hospital, she came out of the coma, 98 days. As we were walking to the airport in Atlanta, he saw, she saw a picture of Jesus and the disciples. I don't know somehow it was there. She stopped 
and looked at the picture and she was shaking her head. I, no, mm-mm, mm, I mean, she was about five. And we were, come on, come on, Tori. You know, we were heading somewhere and she was like, mm-mm, that's, that's not, that's not. And so Raylene said, my wife said, hold on a second, what are you talking about? She said, that's not how Jesus looks. And we we're like, what do you mean? <laughs> you, cannot have, you cannot see his face. His face is shiny. And from here, all the way, long, 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 goes something white. And it's kind of like, Mama, you know those clouds? You know, puffy clouds? That is something that goes from all the way from the shoulders, all the way for a long, long way. But his face is so shiny. My wife said, how do you know? She said, well, when I was in coma, every morning he will come to my bed and will say, good morning, Tori. Everything will be fine. Now, what can be more comforting as you are facing persecution and trials and tribulation to know that the Lord is near? Paul says, you must stand fast during the time of persecution and trials and tribulation, learning to live a life of unbroken unity, unshakable assurance of his presence, and also learning to live a life of unlimited trust. Read with me verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The expression there, be anxious for nothing, in original, in Greek, is translated, do not let your mind be divided. And what he does here is he uses the image of a runner. You know, always when Paul writes, when he talks about the Christian faith, he always does the analogy over fight or over race. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, I have run the race and I have fought the the fight. So every time he talks about Christian faith, he does, uses the analogy of a run or a face, or a, a race or a, or a fight. Here he uses the image of a race. And what he says, he says, do not be anxious for anything. You trust me. Do not let your mind be divided as you are facing persecution, as you are called to concentrate on a finished race. Do not let your mind be divided. Do not let your faith be distracted with so many insignificant things. And Paul says this. Imagine there's a race. We have the Olympics. We have the race. 50 meters, 100 meters, 200 meters. And what do those runners do? If you watch them very closely... They don't talk to each other. They just walk around. They concentrate. And they get to the, to the, to the line here. And they, they are ready to race. And as they do that, they, they do what? They concentrate. You've never seen one of them doing something like this. Hey, man, what's up? Where are you from? <laughs> uh, yeah, what part of Nigeria? Or something like, hey, uh, by the way, man, uh, do you see all those people? Uh, those are my folks. Uh, from Arkansas. They came to support me. No, what do they do? They concentrate. They don't talk to each other. They concentrate on the what? On the finished race. And they are gone. Paul says, 
Do not let your mind be distracted. Do not worry about how is the Lord is going to provide. How is the Lord going to protect? You know, for me, such, such a hard thing to understand. We can trust the Lord to save us. Amen? But we cannot trust the Lord to take care of us. Oh, persecution comes, suffering comes, all the trials will come, tribulation and sorrow and tears. And the Lord is here who provided salvation in Christ and the freedom that we are celebrating in Christ. But then we cannot trust that he will take care of us. And Paul says, do not let your mind be divided. Do not let your mind be distracted from the race that he has called you to run for the fight that he has called you to fight. A couple of years ago, I believe, or a year ago, I can't remember exactly when, Erwin Lutzer, Dr. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book, We Will Not Be Silenced. And he talks about the state of the church in the United States. In fact, last year, when we were, I think we're here at the Southern Baptist Convention, I approached Dr. Lutzer and I asked him if I have the freedom and I have the permission to translate his book into Romanian. The book called Will Not Be Silent talks about what has been happening in the life of the church over these years. When I came to the United States in 1990, I have said it for many, many years, that the church in America, at one point, they'll have to face persecution. What was happening in your country, slowly but surely, your freedoms have been taken away. Where in 1990, I would go to a game and everything would start with prayer. I'll go to a public school and I'll see kids praying around the flag, the pole, and see how they're able to, to read the scripture and pray. Today, you try to do that, and you are sued. The culture and the persecution is starting to come on, on the life of the church. On this special day that you celebrate, 4th of July, the freedom of the United States, I pray that as a church, as an American citizen, as a believer, you will be able to stand fast and stand firm and stand strong for Christ. Amen. I want to ask you if you would just to bow your heads and let's enter a time of response and prayer. And I think it's an appropriate message for us today to think about unity and to think about some of those things that have been clearly outlined in the scripture for us this morning. And you know, I was listening to something this week that really was brought back to my attention as Dr. Elijah was speaking a minute ago. And you know, oftentimes we face something that's it's a heartbreak, it's tribulation or whatever. And we don't stand firm in the faith because we believe if God loved us, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. And it's such faulty thinking. It's so backwards. God loved you and sent Jesus to die in your place. End of story. That's it. He's already proved how much he loves you. He doesn't have to do it again and again and again and again with 
dictates that I might give him or you might give him. Lord, if you do this, then I'll serve you. He's already proven it. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And, you know, if you've never given your life to Christ, we want you to know that we believe Jesus is the only way, not because we're narrow-minded, but because Jesus said it about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And if you've never done that this morning, I want to invite you today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to give your life to him. And maybe today uh, your need would be different. Maybe you are facing trial and tribulation. Or maybe you're starting to, to feel like you're facing persecution at work or in your family or, or whatever it may be for being a believer. Stand firm. Trust in his presence that it will be with you and that he will guide you. He's promised that. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the word as it's been taught to us this morning. And we pray that you would use it in our lives, Lord, to strengthen us so that we would give you glory. Father, forgive us when we have that divided mind that Elijah talked about. Father, some of us have been trying to live out tomorrow's problems today and it just makes us anxious. It doesn't work. Father, some of us are under enormous pressure that I don't, I don't even know that I could articulate to you this morning, Lord. I, I know that our members feel it. Our, our brothers and sisters feel it around the world. And we pray for your grace to guide us every day. And we just, Lord, we speak to the fear in our lives this morning that wants to overwhelm us. And, and we remind it that your word always comes true. For you are good and you are faithful to carry out what you have said. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.